Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today here at the G League Showcase in Las Vegas, Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff is here still evaluating for finishing out his USA coaching duties, has one event left in Greensboro in February, but this mission that you started two years ago on, which was to qualify the senior national team, what people know as the, the Olympic team, for the world championships in 2019, you did it. You did it last month in South America, and you could see the group and, and the reaction and the emotion when you guys qualified, but as much as it was adulation, was it, Jeff, relief? I did what they asked me to do. It was, because when I was asked to do it uh, by Sean Ford and Greg Popovich, I said yes without totally understanding the FIBA game. You know, I learned a lot about that. Uh, I learned a lot about the G League and the G League players, which I had uh, little to no experience with. And uh, so it was a great learning experience. Uh, it was a challenge. It was harder. Uh, I knew it was going to be hard, but it was even harder than I thought. And uh, I'm indebted to all those uh, NBA teams, G League teams, agents, and players that gave of themselves because not everybody did. You know, there was a lot of people uh, that really didn't care about the mission of qualified. And then there were more people than there were other people and other teams, you know, the Tommy Shepherds of the world with the, the wizards, um, uh, Adam Simon with the heat, all those types of people that went out of their way to try to help us put together the best roster we could. So we're indebted to them as well. The knowledge you gained about the international game, you immersed yourself in it, and it's a completely different dynamic. How much did it broaden your scope of how you look at the NBA game, how you looked at basketball, the things you learned as you tried to figure out how to put a team together and how to strategize and win there? How differently do you look at the game now? Well, I don't know if I look at the game differently, but it was like looking at FIBA basketball's like 90s, NBA playoff basketball, where post play is still emphasized, where offensive rebounding is a is a major factor, uh, and so and the physicality is like '90s NBA playoffs as well. So you have to ask the players who are in today's NBA game to reimagine how how the game is going to be played, and it's hard for them. Because they're not used to, you know, like the difference between FIBA basketball and the NBA right now is that the NBA, there's freedom of movement. Uh, in FIBA basketball, it's freedom to get your teeth knocked out when you come into the lane. So it's just two different uh, ways to play. And uh, the America's FIBA is different from European FIBA. So there's all these different... Um, nuances to the different to the FIBA basketball depending on where you're watching and so yeah very interesting uh great learning experience one thing you do find great players everywhere great coaches everywhere so you talk about going back to the 90s NBA it was almost like this for you hey that's at the height of your time with the Knicks as an assistant then as a head coach and I think I know a lot of people look the, listen, the game is more popular than it's ever been, but there's a romanticism about, for some, about the physicality, the toughness. It was a different league. 
I think in some ways at times you long for some of the elements of that game. Maybe not all of them, but was it like walk, going back a little bit in a time machine for yeah. you that like you were like – It was, and and I think – It was like this galaxy that didn't exist anymore. No, it's <laughs> – I would say this. I think back then all the rules were tilted towards the defense. Now all the rules are tilted toward the offense. And certainly so many of the uh, decisions the league officers made – on how the game is to be called and officiated are beneficial. I wish there was a little bit more uh, contact because I think contact would be, bring more conflict. I think what we're missing is conflict. Uh, you know, people exchanging jerseys after games, the unending hugs. It's hard to find uh, a true nasty rivalry um, anymore. And I think. In large part, and I, I read, uh, I think Dwayne Wade said it, you know, we're friendly now. It's it's not like that anymore. And I think the NBA misses that. I think particularly come playoff time, conflict is good uh, and conflict sells. And I only think that can happen with a little bit more contact. But you never want to go back. The game offensively is much more advanced now the coaching of offensive basketball is much better now than it was back then so um you don't want to go back but i think we could add a little bit more balance to our game i wonder how much you think it has to do with listen it's always been a star league but i think even in the 90s there was a sense coaches maybe owners had a a stronger hold on the league they were in more control of things and that's changed this league is run largely by the star players more so than ever. And I think in the players' minds, there's a separation between us, the players, and ownership and management. And, yeah, you want us going to war, and we'll compete in the way we want to compete. And I'm not saying guys don't. A lot of guys who compete really hard at a high level. But, like you said, the friendliness, I just think maybe players see how they fit into the financial picture of this thing differently than that group did then. And they went to war for that organization in a way, guys, hey, we're – like Dwayne said, it it's not like that anymore. Yeah, it, and it's never going back. You know, it's just not. Um, we're here. Uh, I, I think it's it's, and and to go through like I just I think the players see themselves as a group together, versus my twelve against your twelve. Um, and like you said, I don't think it's because they don't listen. I don't think the competition is as fierce. But it's still, particularly in the playoffs, it's hard played. Um, I, I just think it's just different. It's a different way to look at it. It's um, it's not a, an us against them mentality as much. Like like I said, like you're hard pressed to find a a true rivalry anymore that where there's a little bit of edginess or bad blood. To me, most of it, a lot of it plays out on social media between guys versus playing out on the court versus guys. Yeah. That's also a, like, it's a, it's a different league because of that. Um, in the way the game is covered and the way players talk about each other. Um, I think it brings up a heightened sensitivity. I don't think the like you used to have to talk to players about how you spoke to the media. I don't think that's probably even a conversation anymore. I think it's more, how you deal with issues on your social media stuff. So there's a lot that can get in the way. And, uh, 
I, I just it's fascinating to me watching from afar just how uh nice the league is now. And I think Adam Silver has, has had a major impact on this. Uh, no matter, however you look at it, um, I think he is the most player-friendly commissioner um, ever. And uh, I think that has given the players um, an extraordinary amount of uh, – uh, say in how what goes on getting back in a practice setting in a game setting with your own team over these couple of years and, and your team kept changing each tournament you know, there were a few constants but you, generally you, you had turnover based on where uh, players coming in and out I don't think the coaching you ever left you went into tv I think there was always a thought you were going to get back to coaching and then years went on you had lots of offers through stretches and different reasons you, you stayed in tv you you didn't take them but i don't think you ever gave up the idea that you might coach again what did it all sort of rekindle in you or wake up again within you yeah well you know one thing it 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 always reignites is uh how much you can't replace competition and camaraderie uh when you're on a team or with a team or coaching a team there's nothing that can take uh, the place of the camaraderie you feel when you go, particularly into road games, and how you feel the first five minutes after a great road win. Uh, that competition and that feeling after a great road win, you can't replicate it. And so you go through that again because sometimes when you broadcast, you know, sometimes I care who wins and sometimes. I don't care at all because I'm just not close with somebody on either team. But either way, you're not intimately involved. So you just, you just lose that feeling. You, you go, you talk to people, you do the game and you go back and eat. And you don't have the high of a great win or the low of a devastating loss. And I think what happens is it rekindles like, even when it's bad and you lose, if it, it, it's it sparks something in you to try to get it right, and so I miss that stuff. You you can't you know replace it. And I think you know as far as the whole coaching thing, it's interesting. Like you said, I've had some that have been offered to me that I that I didn't think was a good fit. There was others that I wanted that they didn't see it as a good fit. And as you said, time goes on, and pretty soon you wake up and it's like, wow, it's been a long time. Support for the Woj Pod comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, 
nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is also brought to you by Sonos. The holiday season is in full swing, and if you're like me, you love the sights and sounds of the season, and that's where my Sonos beam comes in really handy. Whether I'm watching Christmas movies or sports, my Sonos beam gives me the best audio quality. All Sonos speakers connect wirelessly and work with all of your favorite streaming services. And the fact that I can use Alexa to control it makes it easy for me to use. The speakers look sharp in my living room, and it's made watching sports in my home an event into itself. So if you're looking for some great gift ideas, make someone's day by getting them a Sonos Beam today. I was in Houston for your first training camp two summers ago, and there were lots of coaches in there. I was sitting with Steve Clifford, who would interpret for me what you were really saying to guys he said that Jeff's gift is, I remember at one moment, he just told that guy he's not very smart, except that guy won't realize it until he's on the bus ride back to the hotel, that your ability to communicate with players and to, in a very tight window of this is how we want to play, and, and you're trying to learn the players, they're trying to learn you, and then we're going to go play this tournament, and all this is going on. And I remember watching you, I, I think before practice, and you were kind of pacing back and forth and looked like maybe you were talking to yourself and it sense was you were getting ready to address the team and what you might want to say. Like, is that like riding a bike or do you feel like you're an actor who hasn't been out in, in the theater for a long time? You haven't faced an audience. You haven't done that. Like what, what is that like as a coach? Does it all just come back or do you go? No, no, I think it, you have to work it to, and I think, uh, setting the tone for a team, whether it's an NBA season, a G League season or a short, uh, window, like we were playing, you know, two, three week, uh, period. Uh, you're trying to quickly establish, uh, how you're going to do things. Like you said, how we're going to play, how we're going to win, what can get in the way of that. And, you know, communication, uh, in TV is far different than communicating with a team and communicating with individual players, particularly when you don't have a history with those players. It's one thing when I was coaching a team, and you would have some rough conversations, but you had some, you know, you had history with guys. You had trust and equity built up in a relationship. These are different because you you don't really know them very well. And the G League player in particular is a frustrated player because he's so very good at his job, but economically he's not even close to where he wants to be. And they can all, all every guy I've coached in that for the most part, could make a case I should be in the NBA. I'm just as good as player X on an NBA team. And I think that level of frustration uh, has to be managed. And you have to try to reiterate to these G League players, you're really good. I'm here to help you. But I'm not always going to be able to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to have to tell you some hard truths about where you want to get to. And so that's that's hard, and you have to – work at that and you have to plan and, and review and, and rewrite and re-edit and, and it keeps going and finally you get to a message that you think uh, is best for your team. How much in the time you were out of coaching and you come back and this isn't coaching in the NBA, it's not it's its own thing. It's an international team with G League players. Like I don't know that it's replicated anywhere else. It's it's a unique setup that you had. But how much are you trying to gauge is how I approach players, what I do, this is a different generation than the last time I coached. 
Do I have to do it differently? Do I have to make adjustments to who I am and what I, how I did it? Maybe not my core beliefs or do I just say, this is who I am. This is how I do it. And I'm going to go in and do it that way. How did you have to approach change? I think it was all of that. I think at the core, you have to be who you are and you have to teach to what you believe uh, wins. And I, I think the moment you try to be something other than who you are, you're going to cause yourself a lot of problems. That being said, there's a lot to always be learned. And I've learned a lot as I've watched uh, NBA basketball evolve. And uh, so you're always learning. Uh, I think the core uh, relationships that you have to develop with players are the same. The one thing I don't believe is that you have to treat this group of men differently than past groups. I think you can be honest and direct and it's it's always great like out here at the showcase. I've run into a couple guys, Keith Bogans is coach and assistant coach for the Westchester Knicks. I coach him in Houston. Andre Barrett's doing an internship with the NBA office right now. Running into guys like that that you coached is always is always fun because um you know, you think like I always thought like, yeah, I was pretty, pretty kind always to them. And they were like, uh, maybe not, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's interesting. I do think you have to employ more humor with an all, all start, like with this team that I'm coaching and you can't be as harsh because they don't get any of the benefits out of it. Like if we win and qualify, which we did, they make a little bit extra money, but they're not going to China. Uh, they're the junior varsity helping qualify the varsity. And so I think you do have to approach it a little different all the t- all the while maintaining who you are and what you stand for and what you believe wins. These are players who you know, very few of them might have been a good enough player to play for like, you know, the USA team in some national tournament when they were in high school or college. Right, and they did. Some of them, of them did, yeah. Right. But probably most of them had never worn the red, white, and blue, had never had the USA on it. And I don't even know whether that was what motivated them to come do this. It was a chance, a showcase. I know some guys thought it was simple as Jeff Van Gundy's on TV two or three nights a week, and he might say something nice about me. Like, that was part of it, too. Like, get back to the NBA, whatever it was. But as you went through this, what would you find about guys, and maybe even your coaches, getting caught up in... We are representing the flag. And especially when you leave the country and you go to these tournaments and you go, that's the American team. And, and did that kind of fortify the group in a way that you don't necessarily anticipate? No, no question, particularly as you mentioned on the road. When you travel outside the country in like Argentina and Uruguay and Mexico and Cuba, Panama, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter to those countries who you're bringing. It just matters they want to beat the U.S. So one of the core principles of winning a FIBA basketball game for USA Basketball is not to underestimate. Um, not to underestimate how hard it's going to be, to not underestimate how much intensity is in national team you know, FIBA games, and then an added level of intensity when that national team FIBA game is against the U.S. And so it because these guys are – and it's not to blame them that you're used to G League intensity, G League regular season intensity. The first four minutes of a FIBA game can be shocking. 
contact. Even as we try to prepare them, show them film, more aggressive in, in, in practice, scrimmage against a FIBA team, you know, um, try to explain what it's going to be like. That first four minutes, you know, you're playing, think about these guys. Many of them play in front of maybe a thousand, two thousand fans in a anonymous G League game. You go to Argentina, it was 13,000 and then Uruguay, 12,000. Like, these are the most important games they've played in some time. And it took a while to get back into that level of intensity. But thankfully, Sean Ford, he picked the right guys because he had high character guys who cared deeply uh, about winning, but also about representing the country well. And we had zero problems, uh, on the road. Uh, I couldn't have been like more proud of the guys Sean selected and how they conducted themselves. Uh, great representatives of USA basketball and our country. Last summer, summer of 2017, it was Labor Day weekend. We were in Rhode Island for the weekend, and that Sunday or Monday night you guys played, and you played in Argentina, and you played against the national team, and the place was rocking, and you guys got way down. You got smacked early, and, and actually I remember that game. I thought you were getting good shots. His balls weren't going. I didn't think he had played that poorly, but you were way down, and then methodically came back and won a game, and to me it just looked in that environment – 8,000 miles away, to me it looked like as fulfilling or as like you knew all that goes into that environment. You know what it's like to be there. You know what basketball means in that place. Is that a game, a win you rank up there among some oh, of the very best you've ever had? Absolutely. L- listen, the an- it was the greatest anonymous win that I'd ever been a part of, right, Like as a coach. It's like no one knows – the players that were there, no one would know their names. And yet, when I see them periodically through my travels, as some get back to the NBA, and I juice them up on TV all the time, <laughs> and I love doing it because they deserve it, it's, it's great to reminisce. You know, you know, and, and the funny thing is, it was an unbelievable win. We were down 20 in the third, and, you know, Reggie Hearn, Jameel Warney, uh, CJ Williams just played great down the stretch of the game. And, but the, the best part of the whole thing is how, so after the game, we're catching a, a flight out and we're trying to make a connecting flight and we're delayed. And Marshall Plumley has this idea. He's going to tweet United about us winning the gold. Please hold the plane. Well, when we connected, they had representatives there. They hurried us through customs, <laughs> and we they held the plane for like 15 minutes. So we could, and I'll tell you what, the game won't ever leave me. But the whole like exuberance of getting on that plane, like together, and having these guys run a Twitter—I don't even know what you'd call it—like <laughs> infomercial yeah, about how they should. So it was just awesome, and I'll always remember those guys because of that. Having Greg Popovich come around. And sort of the interest he showed in whether you were having a training camp or getting another team. When he would walk into the gym with your guys, who many of whom, you know, unless they were going to get a 10 day with San Antonio or maybe be on their summer league team and he's in the building are never going to come in contact with the national coach. What impact would that have on your group? Well, interestingly enough, out of two of those camps that he came to, Darren Hilliard got a two-way contract from them. And then Ben Moore, who played uh, this past fall, 
uh, just got a two-way contract from them. So you never know, right? And we, I think in that first summer, the summer of 2017, I think C.J. Williams gets a two-way contract from uh, the Clippers solely because they were there every day and watched him perform in that training camp. So you never know. And, and that's why I've been happy with the guys been able to achieve better. But Greg Popovich has gone out of his way uh, to make those players feel special, which they are, and that they're doing something of great service. Uh, it's His words have had, I think, a good impact on him. But it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. So by him being there for multiple days, he was there every camp except this past November when they had three games in four days and we were playing out of the country. Every other time, he's been there. Uh, and he's shown up and, uh, it's meant, meant everything to our players. And the words were great, but that he cared. He took time individually to go and talk to each player, uh, maybe a couple minutes at a time and then talk to the group. Uh, this is a highly decorated champion of a coach caring deeply about these guys meant everything to him. The process of putting those teams together, there was, some recruiting, right? Like you're trying to convince them, here's why it has value. More than I thought. More than I thought it was going to take. What resonated with guys to want to do this? Lots of different reasons for each guy? Yeah, I think these guys, again, I, I don't think as fans, people understand the stress of and the frustrations of a G League player. And so when you offer them a spot on a national team, I think basically all of them are interested but what they're trying to determine uh, with whoever they trust is what's best for me to better my career. And that means how can I get to the NBA best? And frankly, if everyone was being honest, there's no sure path. Playing for the na- national team, that's not a sure path. Staying in the G League, that's not a sure path either. But they had to wrestle with, and oftentimes a couple guys accepted and then had second thoughts and uh, declined at the very last minute, uh, which really put Sean in a precarious situation. Um, but I, I, I empathize with them because here they are so very good at their job, easily top 700 in the world at their job, and they're sitting here economically making $35,000 a year while somebody they're just as good at is in the NBA making – Ten times that. Or took a deal in Europe or, maybe right. three or four times that. Right. I'm always amazed that I was sitting at the showcase yesterday and watching, you know, seeing veteran guys who, you know, I was just watching Hakeem Warwick. And you're going, I mean, now he made, I mean, it was a decade ago he had a pretty good contract in Phoenix and, you know, back to Europe. And you're going, geez, why is he here? He could be, like, if he's going to finish out his career, finish it out overseas, make some money. You're not banking any money you're making off the G League, but for some guys – if I'm in the G League, I'm accessible for a call-up to the NBA. Once I sign a deal yeah. overseas, I'm gone for the year. And, and I admire that tenacity. I mean, I, you, you have to admire that it. That grit? Yeah. Right? And, and again, like there's some, like in Sioux Falls, it's important in that town, right? Sioux Falls is a great G League setup. Greensboro? They don't care. You know, like you're not getting motivation from the outside world caring about, you know, by big crowds and 
incredible passion. It's it's like you got to bring it, and your coaches. It's the hardest coaching. It is absolutely the hardest coaching at any level in basketball is the G League, right? Because everybody wants to be someplace else. Everybody believes they're getting – your whole roster thinks they've been screwed over, right, and that they belong. And it is hard. And I think it's hard for the players sometimes to get up and see that, um, hey, this is a day to improve. Um, instead of being down about their situation, particularly as it gets to year three and four in the G League. And I think that's what some of uh, the players I've coached in this whole thing who are in the G League now, they have to guard against. That um, they saw their career on the upswing, and now they think it maybe it's plateaued, and how do they handle that? And how can they stay excited and enthused? Um, and the whole decision that you mentioned, is it time for me to just go make some better money and give up this year on my dream of getting a call-up? Those are hard, hard decisions. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by 23andMe. Now through December 25th, the 23andMe DNA kits are on sale. 23andMe helps you understand what your DNA can tell you about you and your family's story. A 23andMe DNA kit is the perfect gift for everyone you love. There's never been a better way to give the gift of genetic discovery to your parents, your siblings, your aunts, your grandparents, and everyone else on your list. It's the one gift that you can buy the entire family that will be unique for each and every of your loved ones. 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service includes 90-plus personalized genetic reports that offer DNA insights on what makes you unique. It's really easy to do. You simply spit into the tube provided in your 23andMe kit, register your sample to your personal 23andMe account, and in a few weeks, you'll receive your personalized online reports. My family and I are waiting on ours. We're eager to see what the results are going to be. With a 23andMe Ancestry Composition Report, you could explore where your DNA is from out of 150-plus regions worldwide. Wellness, muscle composition, sleep movement, traits, and even mosquito bite frequency. So what makes some people more attractive to mosquitoes than others? Genetics may be partly to blame. So now through December 25th, Christmas Day, get 30% off any 23andMe kit. Order your DNA kit at 23andMe.com slash Woj. That's the number 23andme.com slash Woj. Again, that's 23andme.com slash Woj. I talked here with um, Allison Feaster, who's working with the NBA and the G League on this Pro Path program where they're going to allow high school players to go directly to the G League. Rod Strickland is here, and they're heading that program. We're essentially, um, for $125,000, you can bypass college, come into the G League. Now, that is only for a select few. They're not handing those out like coupons. Like, essentially, you need to be at the top of your class. They need to see you as an NBA prospect. They need essentially projected first-round pick. And I think they always expected it would be very few. And I think initially people hear $125,000, and that is a significant amount of money. I'm not downplaying that. But in the grand scheme of things, choosing to go to the G League and taking the 6 a.m. connection from Midway in Chicago to get to Memphis to play against the Memphis Hustle, and then, as you said, go to Greensboro 
That's not Duke Carolina charter flights, packed arenas, national TV. You know, there's no campuses with co-eds. There's nobody, I don't know, like you can maybe try to meet a young lady working at the front desk at the Days Inn. It is not like an 18-year-old's dream. And what you know of the G League and the experience and what you know of big-time college basketball, can you imagine? Now, guys may academically get into trouble where they're not eligible or and it just doesn't make sense. But to actually choose that path over a one-and-done in college be hard for you to imagine making it? I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Uh, First of all, no one's talked about the pay's probably – Equal to what they're getting in That's college, right? That's right? right. So if let's you be want honest. that, you can get it if you, you want to go yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you yeah. can get yeah. you can get the same money, and yeah. you can get it tax free. And yeah. so, I, I think so. Let's say the money's about the same for those level guys, and like you said, the lifestyle is so different from what you're going to experience in college, and not as good, not even close to as good. And I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good you are coming out of high school. You're going into a man's league in the G League. You are going to be humbled. I, I coached a guy in training camp uh, last fall, Darius Baisley, um, who was going to not do the 125, but he was going to do that path of high school to the G League. And he's very talented, like athletically gifted, but he's very thin. He, he needs strength. And I think... He and his agent made a very wise decision to abandon that and just work on his body, work on his game, because I think it would have actually hurt his draft status. So I think it's a huge risk for these players because you have a much greater chance of getting exposed. There's no um, east-southwest Missouri state on the roster in the G League. You're lining up against somebody hungry uh, to get, like, you're going to be a marked man. And because I don't even know how it would work for the G League team, like you don't have his rights. So what's the motivation? What's the motivation to try to really, I guess it would be financial to try to get people in the building. Yeah. And I've asked that question and, and the G League and the NBA has had to grapple with this because let's say hypothetically you're a player from Texas. Well, you're just going to a G League team for a year. Then you're going in the NBA draft. You're not, so the team who takes you on, now they'll have more access to you. They'll be able to know more about you than anybody else. But they still have to be in position to draft you. And that, and that again, not, may hurt you in the well, draft. And, and here's the other thing people worry about. What if I get a guy here and I say, man, this guy is better than we even imagined. Are you going to showcase him in that setting and try to grow him? Or might you try to downplay how good he is in different ways so that you can get him on draft night versus allowing everybody else to see now, the case against that has been made to me is like, listen, as NBA teams, we want these G League teams to be, you're going to have coaches there who are going to be proving themselves as coaches, and they're going to see the benefit of developing that player, that player having a good experience there, seeing the improvement, and that that's good training ground for an organization's coaches and the players, the young coaches, and that who are trying to build a reputation. But that's going to be a tricky part of this because – in a lot of cases, you're going to be doing this for a team. And the other thing they've talked about, that's been the one thing they haven't figured out yet is how are we going to allocate these players? They might do it by geography. There's a great kid from Dallas or Houston. Maybe he goes to Rio Grande Valley or he goes to Texas Legends. Let's do it geographically. Or kid from California stays out there where maybe he has a fan base and it may be the, the And also family. Easier. Family, yeah. 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 I think it's a great idea. 
I, I think trying to give more avenues to these players is terrific. And I think ultimately it won't be around in two years. Really? I don't. Because I think ultimately they'll go back to where they can go into the draft. And once they can go into the draft, well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It'll be yeah. it One, won't, there, there'll be no reason. No need for it. That's right. That's right. And we're at the point, and that's exactly right. Like 2022 is potentially, you know, the league looked at 21, 22, but they haven't been able. We'd report on that recently. The the league and the union haven't been able to agree. But I do think they'll they'll probably eventually get to that agreement. This is something in the interim to give players some option. But yeah, if one and you and know done, what you know what Adrian, you know what's interesting to me. I'm not even sure the people who are making this decision understand how good the G League player is. And, like, asking a kid to come in from high school and and play against Jameel Warney, you're going to get roasted inside. I coached him. Like, he will kill you. He's that good. Like, is he a little undersized? Yes, he is. Will he annihilate a high school kid? Yes, he will. Right. It, this is not going to be some like, you, you know, we act like they're going to go in and it's going to be all success. No, here's the risk. You can get exposed. And so you may be projected as top 15. And now I see you play and I see you play 50 G League games and I see you get your head handed to you. And I see some m- maybe mental weakness when you're not having great success and you're not able to adapt and adjust to the abominable travel that these players have to go through, well, you can see your stock go down. To me, the 125000 it's okay. It's it's a great gesture, but I think I, – I don't it's know – It's not who, a reason. No. It's not a reason. It, it, it's, yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out – the guy who's going to actually pull the trigger and say, that's my path. Because it is, it is that, that path and that road has landmines all over it. And the fact that agents now will be able to represent the players coming out, why don't agents allow guys to play at the draft combine? Why do they want to limit what the workouts look like when they go meet teams? Because they never want anything. That will cause someone to go, that guy lost value while he was under your watch. That all of a sudden, when I got a hold of him, he was a top five pick. Now he's a top 15 pick or he's dropped. They always want the perception of he's risen. Hey, he was 30 on draft boards. I got him into the lottery. You do that. Now, when you're way down, you want maybe more people to see him. You want more cracks at it. You have nothing to lose. Like, let's try to move up. But when you're projected high, it's just the opposite. You restrict access to him and it's going to be the same with the G League and it might be if he's a high enough level player and I don't want him to go to college and I can get some commitment on a shoe deal some money that allows us to spend the year training or agents will just pay for the year of training but as you like said like they've done for Derry Space yeah that year in the G League has like you said it's it's pitfalls now organizations I think the smart organizations will look at that and go I know the player's going to struggle like Brandon Jennings and however his career turned out and whatever we – but Brandon Jennings at 18 years old going to Europe and having to go through – that's a more realistic rookie year in the NBA. Young players sitting on the bench against veterans. How do you handle that? How do you handle not playing? How do you handle the resentment from older players? That, I thought, told a lot of people not so much how he played. They knew Brandon Jennings was talented. 
They're watching how does he react to it? How does he react to adversity that most players never face till they get to the NBA? Because it's they don't face it in college and face it in high school. And I do think the smart organizations and, and conversations I've had is like in the G League, we know it's hard and we know physically they may not be able to measure up. We're going to watch their mental toughness. But not every organization will. Some will just go the perception. He's not playing well. I'm going to take shit if I draft this guy. I just I think agree with you. This is going to be really. But, but interesting. I think it, I think at the end of the day, it goes back to the agents and the kids. They're not going to take the risk. Yeah. They're, you know, Terrence Ferguson went to Australia, right? Comes he gets a he gets yeah. it to be a first round. Didn't play player. great over there. No, didn't no. play great. But uh, everybody went to see him. Everybody in the yeah. league went to scout him, and and he's finding his way. Yeah. yeah. So there are alternate paths. There are, but. I think you'll see agents like say, you know, if we can get him, like you said, some shoe money and I'll pay for it and at least we know he's not going to drop. He might not go up, but he's not going to drop. And in the case of Baisley, if he did improve his body and his strength, I mean, this is very, very uh, uh, like thin. If he's able to improve his body, and I haven't seen him since, you know, the, uh, you know, last year, but. If he has, I think that'll help his draft stock. And so uh, it's interesting. I, I think we almost incentivize these agents and players to not take the risk of competition, which is crazy. Like, you should be saying, I value a player who says, just line me up, I'll play against anybody. I don't care what workout it is. You want me in the G League? Great. You want me to come up in the NBA? Great. I, I'll play anybody. But the system's not built for that. No, and everybody says they want it, but they don't reward it. I remember at the draft combine last year, Dante DiVincenzo, hey, the last memory anybody had of him was Final Four MVP, hitting a bunch of threes in a championship game. And, you know, he goes to the combine, has a great first day. Everyone's like, all right, now you really just shut it down. I'm going to come back and play tomorrow. I'm going to play. I want to play. And teams loved it. They loved it. They said, that guy wants to compete. And he, you know, he went, what, 19th, you know, top 20 in the draft. And maybe he would have anyway, but... You can criticize guys for doing it. Like Thon Maker, he just disappeared. Nobody saw him. Didn't work out for anybody. He went 10th. Well, like, it works. It works. Yeah. I think it, listen, I don't think the NBA should be criticized at all. I think it's a great gesture what they've done to give an alternate path. I just think at the end of the day, it's not going to be utilized. It's always too, when you were a coach and it was pre-draft time, and so you're not paying attention to these cows. Like you have your scouts and your GM and they're out and, but your season ends and they say, Hey, Jeff, here's 20 guys we're thinking of. Watch some tape. Tell us what you think, right? You and your coaching staff would look and, and you might come in and watch the workout. Now you're watching one hour. Kid might have worked out for four teams in six days, flown all the country, might be exhausted. And sometimes teams say, we know the kid's going to be exhausted today. We know he's not going to play well. We want to see, is he going to quit? Or is he going to keep fighting? Like you're always looking at these things, but I always sense that's where coaches and, or an organization, if they've done their work, they've seen them play a lot, they've done all their research and homework on character and all those things, and they say, this is a long-term play. And coach walks in the gym and says, that guy can't help me for I don't know how long, but boy, that kid over there plays his ass off. I always say that's kind of where you get the, the push and 